Bulletproof Radio, a state of high performance. You're really going to love today's episode. You'll want to listen through all the way to the end, especially until you get the three questions at the end, because the answers here are really cool. But you're going to learn about a very successful entrepreneur who decided to, after he sold his company to Google, to hack problems with insurance in the country. You listen to Bulletproof Radio. You already know more about your health, how to take care of yourself than most people on earth. Well, it turns out that people who are health conscious die about 41% less, maybe in as much as 47% less. And there's a quiz that doesn't require any blood work that can help tell you where you are on that. We're going to talk about the science behind that. And you're going to learn a thing or two about uh, managing death, (laughs) including uh, this thing called life insurance, which is something that I did deal with. Uh, not dying, but about getting insurance early on in my career. And it's something that I completely screwed up. So at the end of the show, you're going to get a few little tidbits about what's what there. But mostly you're going to learn about what this knowledge is doing for you right now. So it's a fun episode. Everyone's talking about red light therapy beds and for good reason. There's a company called ARRC LED that's building an entirely new class of LED devices. ARRC LED beds integrate proprietary scanning technology and frequency protocols to shape the delivery of six different wavelengths in dose-optimized photobiomodulation. Yes, that's a lot of words. What it is, though, is that photobiomodulation improves the underlying energetics of the cells in your body. And those changes can benefit nearly every tissue and organ and system in your body. You change your cells and you change your life. For more information, visit ARRCLED.com. What if there was a way to feel younger for longer? Well, there is. Your body needs something called the NAD plus molecule to help you age well. When you're young, your body makes a lot of NAD plus, and that helps you make energy. It helps you keep your DNA healthy, absorb nutrients well, and it protects your cells from stress. But once you hit about 30, your NAD plus levels start to drop. The good news is that longevity scientists have found some things that can help, like niacin, niacinamide, and niagen. They help your body make more NAD plus even as you age. All three of these are in an amazing formula called Qualia NAD+. Check out Qualia NAD+, risk-free, for up to 100 days at neurohacker.com slash Dave15 to save an extra 15%. That's neurohacker.com slash Dave15, Qualia NAD+. It's what I use. You're listening to Bulletproof Radio with Dave Asprey. Today's cool fact of the day is that most football players who donate their brains to science show evidence of traumatic brain injury. Out of more than 200 brains of dead football players, about 99% had developed the disease. Now, this doesn't mean that if you or someone you know plays football that they have TBI, since many of the families might have donated those brains because they had signs of mood, memory, or behavioral problems that can come from a brain injury. But I will tell you that if you whack yourself in the head, there's lots of stuff you can do now, now that science has finally taught us that a brain injury can have all kinds of effects throughout the body. And if you look at the Bulletproof blog or just do a lot of research online, you'll find there's things you can do right after you hit your head or even longer term, even if it's many years after you hit your head. And by addressing old brain injuries, you can make your life better and probably live longer. Before we get into today's show, uh, which has something to do with how long you're going to live, I wanted to tell you about Bulletproof Grass-Fed Ghee, which is something you may not know about. Ghee is clarified butter, where we take all the protein and liquid out of butter, so all that's left are the precious fats that are in the oil. It has a really strong, amazing butter 
buttery flavor, and we clarify it over an open flame, which takes down that protein count and the lactose, the sugar count. So a lot of people who don't do well on dairy actually do great on ghee. It's traditional Ayurvedic food, and it has a smoke point of 485 degrees Fahrenheit, hotter than you should cook any oil or any protein for that matter. So it's what I use if I'm going to be, say, cooking veggies or something in the oven, which is really cool. You can also use it in Bulletproof Coffee to have coffee that is even less protein than butter would have. You'll find it online at Bulletproof.com, and it is amazing, just this caramely flavor. So check it out at Bulletproof.com. Today's guest is Munjal Shah, who is CEO of Health IQ, but he's also a phenomenally successful guy who started and sold two companies, including one you may have heard of called Like.com that was acquired by Google. And he's got just this fantastic story of what happened when he sold his first company. He had this chest pain and how he went on to start a new company that has a huge chance to change the way insurance companies look at our own health data. What you're going to hear here is an amazing story, but more importantly, it's something that's changing the future and something that has some directly actionable things for you in it. Munjal, welcome to the show. Hey, thank you for All having right. me, Dave. You have this Silicon Valley story that warms my heart because I had one kind of similar at 37 years of age, you sold your right. company to Google, which is awesome. Congratulations. That's you know, the, the Silicon Valley dream. What happened to you the next day? So the very next day, I was running a 10K race. And in the middle of it, I ended up with chest pains and ended up in the ER. And I remember thinking at the time, I mean, I was definitely scared when it happened, but I was also a little bit upset, honestly, because I was like, wait, I worked my whole life to get here. I worked 80 hours a week for 10 years and now I'm going to die. <laughs> like this is unfair. And that was kind of a real wake up moment for me. You know, I had not been very healthy. My diet consisted of the same diet I grew up on, which was frosted flakes, pop tarts, apple jacks, and cinnamon rolls. And people had come to me and said, Hey, take care of your health. You have young kids. You should really care. And I was like, leave me alone. You know, I'm just too busy for this. I'm running a company. And that day was kind of the day that, you know, I always say sometimes in life, you don't find your mission, your mission finds you like that was that day. So you had chest pains, you're in the emergency room and I'm guessing you didn't have a heart attack. What was going on? I didn't. Yeah. My father had had his first heart attack in his mid forties. I was 37. It didn't turn out to be a heart attack, but it, it ended up being an inflammation of actually the lining of my lung that was right above my heart. And so every time my, my heart beat, I got this shearing pain that went through my entire body and it eventually resolved itself. But it, part of that rehabilitation for me was I ended up on a, going on a significant journey on kind of just exploring health and wellness, lost 40 pounds and, and just really finally took control of my health uh, after many, many, many years of well, 37 years of basically. Well, I, I feel your pain on that one. I went through a bout of something called pericarditis, inflammation of the lining of the heart. And it's just, it, it's hard to put words to that kind of just pain. And you do feel like you're going to die, which is terrible. So that will give you a, a massive wake up call, but you're in a weird position because you had, I mean, tons of money. I mean, I, I got my $6 million when I was 26, you know, at, at the company that, that held Google's first servers. And I lost it when I was a couple years after that. But you had enough money that you could see any specialist on earth. You could do whatever you want to do. You probably had tons of, of insurance and all this stuff. Like what was the first thing you did? when you're like, you went home from the ER? I'm trying to remember back. I mean, I think for me, I just, you know, I, I was never a believer in the solutions to these things are, you know, more pharmaceuticals. I always had kind of a, an aversion to that solution. And I had, I had been an athlete in, in high school, but I had kind of stopped. I had, you know, raced bikes when I was young, USCF racing and been a very avid sports person, but I, I just kind of had let all that go once I got to college. And so I refound my roots and I started working out and I started changing my diet. And then I met 
actually a group of people who eventually became my co-founders. My co-founder, Gaurav, who had gone through his own journey and lost 50 pounds. My co-founder, Brett, who had lost 120 pounds as an ex-Google engineer, who basically decided one day to change his health. My co-founder, Chunder, who had lost 60 pounds. And we just began a journey together where actually every month we tried something different. We did a DEXA scan, uh, which is, you know, the body fat scan, the low-dose x-ray machine. And we did a blood test with Wellness FX. And we did that every single month for 12 months and just tried different things. And it was, it was fascinating. You know, we, we even debunk some things, right? Everybody's always like, Hey, what works for you doesn't always work for me. I'm like, well, turns out cutting out sugar pretty much (laughs) works for everyone. (laughs) I haven't met the person that doesn't work for, but you know, we found that interval training and sprints were just so much more effective than long distance cardio. And even though I had run a few marathons and I enjoyed it, it, you know, I realized that that wasn't the best thing for me from a testosterone level and, and other things. And uh, I found out through my 23andMe that I was lactose intolerant genetically, even though I was drinking milk, but I had been lactose intolerant as a child. And this, and so cut out all dairy, did a blood test the month before, did a blood test after. And sure enough, my cholesterol fell 40 points with no other changes. My weight fell 10 pounds. Two liver enzymes and kidney enzymes that had never been normal went normal. I just realized even though I could digest dairy, it really wasn't something that was great for my body. And so, but we did it all kind of, you know, the goal wasn't just to be healthy on the outside. It was kind of be healthy on the inside and just tried a lot of different things. We tried some things that didn't work, read about this great car (laughs) backloading ice cream diet. Sounded good. (laughs) Sounded too good to be true. Was too good to be true. And so, you know, but uh, tried intermittent fasting, which I still do to this day, you know, just, just a number of different things, some of which worked it, and some of which It's didn't. funny for me, kind of the wake up call was I was around 26, 27 and I got this, these lab results back because I'd really decided I was, I was going to get on top of this extra hundred pounds of weight. And they said, you're at very high risk for stroke and heart attack. And they showed me all, the, all my lab data from an anti-aging doctor. Oh, and your testosterone is lower than your mom. And, and all these things are like, oh my God, like I'm going to die. Uh, like, like this isn't okay. And I'd already tried all this exercise and I went down that same path you did. In fact, years later, I was an advisor to Wellness FX. But that idea of getting the data and just trying all this stuff and realizing, wow, there's a lot of myths out there. And when you look at the inside values, it totally changes your things. And that's one of the things that led to the creation of like the whole biohacking feature. Field, which is like, wait, what if you just try things that you think might work, even if we don't know all the mechanisms and we still don't know how intermittent fasting works. Like we have a bunch of theories, but like there's probably right. three more levels mm-hmm. of biological understanding before we get there. But what's kind of cool is you found other, I'm just going to say it because this is how I would have described myself, um, fat geeks. <laughs> and you guys like all band. <laughs> Right. <laughs> and, and <you> all, <laughs> exactly. I call it born again healthy. Okay. That's, that's, that's probably my a better born way of saying healthy, it. But, but yeah. I mean, you're all computer science guys uh, like me, and you all had this weight problem, and then you all decide you're going to go out and actively hack it and, and you do, for lack of a better word, A-B testing. And and you did. And right. you're all, I'm assuming now, within reasonable parameters of health. Is there anyone who it didn't work for in your team? No. Everybody's kind of managed their weight. Uh, and it's now years later. You know, we kind of came together in 2013. It's now, uh, oh, everybody had gone through a similar journey when we came together and then we continued that journey or they had started the journey and we continued it. And 
you know, years later, we've all maintained it, you know, plus or minus five pounds kind of thing, even while we've been running a company. Although I must say it is challenging as, you know, we work uh, so much, but we still continue to do it. And part of it's environment, you know, so here at, at Health IQ, we, we don't allow sugar in the office. It'll get thrown out. If you put it in the kitchen area, you can kind of <laughs> have it at your desk, but we'll still glare at you. <laughs> and, um, you know, <laughs> we don't allow yep. diet. There's no soda in the office. There's no candy bars. There's no granola bars. We don't serve pizza. We'll send you some. Um, we'll you know, send you some bars. That it, we've got your back on that one. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, we've just found that it isn't just about discipline. It's also coming out of a stressed meeting. Like everybody will crack and eat something they shouldn't eat if it's around. And so environment's as important. I, as, I would as consider myself a failed CEO if I stocked you know. the bulletproof fridges with diet sodas. Like I'm just not going to do that. <laughs> Uh, and so you do the same thing where like, like you just, you, you make sure the environment is solid so that when people come out, like, oh, there is stuff to eat, but it's high quality and it supports the goals of everyone. And do you have a lot of employees at Health IQ now? Like how big are you guys? And the company's okay. about 150 people. So it's, it's getting there. It was about 50 people a year ago and it'll probably be about 300 in the next 12 months. So it's and actually Do you think that even though you spend a lot more on employee wellness, stuff like that, do you think that it's paying for itself in terms of like making the company either run better? or more profitable or lowering healthcare costs or things like that? Oh, yeah. I mean, for us, it's just really mission alignment. You know, here we are building insurance, you know, for health conscious people. <laughs> and I mean, you know, how, how would that even work if we weren't? So, you know, we actually do a company-wide joint workout every day. So 2 to two thir- or two thirty to 3 every single day is workout time at the company. So it, it's okay to work out at that time and everybody does and there's different activities to choose from. And it's okay if you stay in your gym clothes the rest of the day and you smell, we just kind of said, you know what? The etiquette is not as important as the health. You know, we just hand out deodorant and you can tell your neighbor to put on more if he <laughs> needs it. But we just, we literally just, you know, cause you have gyms and offices, but nobody uses them cause they feel self-conscious and you know, well, if the boss sees me and you're the whole company's working out, the gym's actually in the middle of the office. It's not off to the side. And it's something we do four days a week. We do this half an hour kind of uh, uh, workout time. And so it's, you know, we, tr- we try to live, live what we are obviously looking to reward ourselves. And, uh, I, I love it that, that you're doing that. And the way I look at it, the same thing with, with Bulletproof is that I, I don't mind if it costs a little bit more because we all have to work with each other and people who are well-fed are nicer to each other. Like, like we all win and we go home feeling better. So just overall employee happiness and engagement and mission alignment, like it's all there. So you guys are, you're solid at, at your core that way. But the, the problem is chose to hack with health IQ is one that has fascinated me for 20 years. When I first made the $6 million and, and for people listening, most of us have not had the opportunity to either make or lose $6 million the way I did. And so what happens when you first make some sizable amount of money, and there's probably a lot of Bitcoin millionaires who are figuring this out right now, is that <laughs> there's all these <laughs> there's all these like wealth management companies who pop out of the woodwork and some of them are really good and they're going to tell you things like you need to go out you need to buy uh, life insurance and there's different types of life insurance and they're going to tell you you know to use this asset allocation model and here's what you should do with your portfolio and frankly some of the advice that I got was really bad back then uh, partly because I didn't know how to how to deal with wealth management but one of the things I did decide to do uh, was to get uh, two things. Uh, one is I got disability, like a lifetime disability policy, partly because I'd been like my brain was fried. I'm like, I don't know what's right. going on here, but all my labs are within 
tolerances so I can get this disability policy because I was like, I wouldn't hire myself when my brain isn't working. And then I went and I said, I've got to get life insurance. And I was so offended because even back then I'd already lost some of the weight and I was actively managing my health. And I remember talking with the life insurance broker. I'm like, are, are you telling me that they don't care about any of the lab values that I'm tracking? Like the fact that, you know, now my thyroid hormones are working again and all this stuff. And you just want this basic stuff. And they're like, yeah, pretty much that's it. And, and we went through this like whole afternoon discussion about how we could use actual data to make good life insurance where people who are doing the right things who were going to live longer uh, could get better rates. And so I, I kind of wrote that down. I was like, this is one of those great ideas. And then I came across what you're doing at Health IQ. I'm like, oh my God, <laughs> like, you know, real engineers decided to sit down and use the incredible, you know, big data machine learning kind of stuff that we have available now that wasn't there 20 years ago and, uh, and sit down and actually hack the problems. So I wanted to have you on the show uh, to talk about what's changed in the way that we can gather data about people to tell if someone's truly health conscious or not, and then how that would affect how likely they are to die and thus how much life insurance would cost. So walk me through your logic and what you're doing there. Yeah. So, you know, I'm going to, I'll take a little bit on a journey here because the way in which we developed kind of Health IQ, the life insurance company, um, was kind of backwards. And I'll, I'll take you through kind of where we started. So, you know, forming the company at first with the five of us, we didn't actually think uh, what we were going to do was create an insurance company. In fact, we didn't even have that as a plan. What we did know is we wanted to create a way to celebrate um, really the health conscious, right? We believe there's this 40 to 50 million people in the world, uh, in America, who while the, most of the country has gotten less healthy, these people have gotten more healthy. And we just believe they're heroes in society and we should celebrate them. But we didn't want to celebrate the healthy. We wanted to celebrate the health conscious. And so we said, is there a test out there that measures how health conscious you are? And we looked around and honestly didn't find one. And so we wrote our own. We wrote 30,000 questions. We spent $5 million of venture money doing it. Um, we found the 3,000 most correlated questions. One of the things we did at the end when we calibrated the questions was we asked how many times you'd gone to the hospital in the last year, because that's something most people remember. If I ask you how many times you went to the doctor, you probably don't remember. But if I ask you the hospital, like it's pretty memorable. And we said, which of the 30,000 questions correlate? Like it was a dumb approach. We didn't try to get smart. We didn't try to pick them. We just said, which ones seem to work? And we found that there were these 3,000 mostly experiential questions. So what I mean by that are we don't ask you to self-assess. We don't say, hey, how many times a week do you drink? And how many times a week do you exercise? And then we'll decide if you're health conscious. In, in health, most people tend to not say the <laughs> <Yeah>. truth. <laughs> Right. And I think it's it's pretty primal. Like 4,000 years ago in the tribe, if you said you were unhealthy, you got fed <laughs> to the lions. Right. So we've all learned to kind of fib and lie about our health. And the SAT understands this. They don't say, hey, uh, you good at spatial reasoning? You're like, yeah, I'm great. They're like, okay, here's 800 <laughs> points. No problem. You know, like it doesn't work that way. And so we built questions that we asked you these questions in the app, 30 seconds. You never get the same question twice. If you close the app and open the browser, it tells us you tried to cheat. And we say, hey, you know, an Olympic barbell unweighted is how many pounds? And if you lift, you know it's 45. If you don't, you're like, uh, I don't know. When you're doing a deadlift, where are you supposed to look? And we could even, you know, you could even create bulletproof questions like, you know, what's it's best to have bulletproof coffee to burn fat when? After dinner, before breakfast, with lunch, you know, drink instead of breakfast. And like only somebody who probably really has looked into this. We, we actually right call those, we call those black hat and, coffee hackers, the people who work in the coffee shop who are like experts in it, but they're hard to find. So you have a quiz who could find, we'll call them black hat, but like, like the people who really understand how their own health works. 
Yeah, I mean, but but even just just testing not only how their health works, but have a level of depth of knowledge which you wouldn't have just accidentally run into. You had to kind of actively seek that depth, uh, that amount of information. So, and you can do this for almost any topic. You know, we'll be like, hey, is 30 minutes a good Murph time if you do CrossFit? And <laughs> if you've never done CrossFit, you don't even know what a Murph <laughs> is. And if you've done it, you got to know if 30 minutes is a good time. It's actually a crazy great time, especially if you're wearing a weighted, uh, weighted vest. And so um, anyway, so that's uh, those are some of the things that we found. And then we got millions of people to take this health IQ. And we still didn't know what the business was. And we a little bit didn't care. We were like, look, we just think the world should have a measure. We all have a FICO score for our credit health. Why don't we have a way to measure how health conscious we are? It's like we're not born knowing the user manual of the body and yet we kind of should be, or at least somebody should teach it to us. And, and the health conscious are the ones that have um, kind of taken that. And so we built that, did it. And then we spent two years trying to figure out the business for it. We said, God, there must be a way, because we realized most of the value of being health conscious accrued to some form of insurance policy, be that health insurance, life insurance. And I spent a lot of time on health insurance saying there must be some way to give you cheaper health insurance after the Affordable Care Act. But unfortunately, in the desire to get rid of all pre-existing conditions, they also removed kind of the complete ability to create a pricing meritocracy. You know, you couldn't, you know, in, in, think about it. in auto insurance, it's a meritocracy. If you get five DUIs, we're going to charge you more and that's okay. But in health insurance, there's no ability. We're saying, hey, look, nothing is nobody's fault ever, which, okay, there are a lot of things that are out of our control in health. But, you know, the diabetic who drinks five cans of Coke a day and, you know, eats cake and injects insulin is not the same as the diabetic who's well controlled and manages their blood sugar really well. So we couldn't do that. But we, when we found life insurance, we realized, oh, Here's a market and a regular set of regulations which actually allows for a meritocratic pricing um, for the health conscious. And so to do that pricing, you need an actuarial table. You need a data set that basically says, hey, you know, based upon your current level of X, here's the expected death rate Y. And for us, it turns out because we had these millions of people take their health IQ, it turns out we were able to track their mortality through a variety of complicated mechanisms using big data. And we ended up with the largest new what's called mortality table in probably a hundred years of life insurance. Like I'm not hundred percent sure because I don't have access to every carrier, but from what I've seen, nobody this quickly, this fast has built a data set that said, okay, by health IQ score, what was the expected death rate? And after two, three years passed in the meantime, because unfortunately it's life insurance. You have to wait for people to pass away for the data to come in. <laughs> as morbid as that is, they're, they're contributing to science <laughs> in effect. And then luckily for us, you know, because you could have done all this, you could have been on this mission and it could have showed no difference. Could have been, hey, the health conscious don't die any different than those who are not. And so sure enough, the data ended up showing that the health conscious die 41% less than those who are not health conscious. And it was statistically valid enough that, you know, it was the data we were able to use. That was the foundation, the data foundation for the business. Now, there's probably other ways to determine if people are health conscious. You know, you could follow them every meal and watch how they eat, but, you know, you have to pick a tool like this that's the right trade-off between friction and accuracy because you need lots of data. And so that's what we ended up building. So we really built the world's first health IQ test that is not a self-assessment that millions but of people took. This is, um, uh, just as a computer science guy, like this is brilliant and disruptive because what, I mean, what you can do if you really wanted to go out there and and game the system you, know, you could take cholesterol lowering drugs before you get life insurance 
right? And and you can you can manipulate your blood values. It's not even that hard to do. Uh, and what they look at aren't even useful tests for the most part. And then all the really good tests I've never seen a life insurance company work with. And the good tests are going to run two or three grand probably. So then it's too expensive and, and you can't do this. But to date, it's always been self-assessment. It's always been, let's get a basic set of lab panels that don't correlate well with longevity. And that's the way it's always been done. So that's how we're going to do it. And it took a different kind of thinking for you to to say, well, we're just going to look at people's really lifestyle and mindset and knowledge as predictors instead of all these like lower level data points. What caused that spark of insight for you? Well, you know, if you think about the current life insurance process of giving you a blood test and then giving you a policy for 20 years is a spot check. But not everybody's, you know, everybody gets a little less healthy as they age, but they don't all get less healthy at the same rate. And so I think that we realized that you needed a longitudinal measure and that you could track it constantly, but it's better, you know, if I give you two people, one with an A1C of you know, 6.5 and the other one with an A of NC of 6.5, but one knows the glycemic index of every fruit and you got to place a bet of which one you want to underwrite. I'm probably going to take the one that knows the glycemic (laughs) index of every fruit because I mean, how did you even stumble into that knowledge? You didn't, you had to read, you had to be interested in it. And so, you know, people sometimes quip, Hey, you know, knowing is not doing. Yeah, but you can't do what you don't know. Knowing is actually a reasonable proxy, especially deep knowledge and especially experiential knowledge. Like we don't ask you if you're low carb. We're like, Hey, which of these four tortillas at Chipotle has the lowest carbs? Because <laughs> <laughs> invariably all of us who eat well still end up occasionally in at some, you know, fast food place because you're with family or you're with friends or you're on the road and you got to eat your way around a bad menu. So it's just, uh, it's a, it's a different approach that we took that led to this data. And then we correlated the data. We found actually the states with low health IQ parallel to CDC states with higher obesity. We found that the people with lower health IQ ended up with a greater number of hospitalizations. We found that, you know, just a ton of other factors that you would expect um, kind of correlated again and again. And again, they're correlations. It, I'm not saying the IQ necessarily is what made you get healthier and live longer. I'm, it may be, I mean, in fact, I think it is, but it may be that all the people who have good health IQ also meditate. But in, in an actuarial science for insurance pricing, like we don't care why somebody dies less. If they die less, they should just get a lower rate. That is uh, that black box approach that we oftentimes don't know exactly what's going to kill us. And my approach on living to at least 180 is that I'm going to pretty much find everything that's likely to lessen my life expectancy. And I'll do less of that. <laughs> and I'll find the things that increase life and I'll do more right. of that. It's, it's like really rocket science. But what, what you find is that there's thousands of variables and perfectionism will shorten your life extension as well. So I'm not looking to be perfect here, but like if there's a choice of those four tortillas, I'm going to pick the right one because, you know, these small decisions add up over time. It, it turns out most of the signal we're getting is that we found the people <laughs> who care, go. right? And so you, today you may do X and we may prove that X is actually ineffective in five years, but those same people who care will then switch to the new thing that has been proved effective or, the, or that has yet to be proved that, you know, we should be trying. And so it's not that they have to be right every time. It's just that they have to care and take responsibility. There's this, there's this Hindi uh, saying called chaltahe, which is kind of, um, you know, my parents are Indian and I grew up here, but, you know, I, I heard this term from many of them and many of my cousins and chaltahe kind of means what will happen will happen. And it's this very fatalistic view of one's health or one's life. And I'm just trying to find the people who don't believe in that. <laughs> 
in, at some level. And, and they're like, no, what will happen is what I will do different. And at least I will bend the curve slightly. Oh, okay. So, I have to ask this um, now is part of your business plan, a dating service. So you could just advertise your health IQ and be like, I, I want to date someone with a similar health IQ. <laughs> Uh, no, we're 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 going to stick to insurance. <laughs> there are a lot what, of fit people. What you've identified, though, is you've app. identified a way to to pick out the community of people who care about their health and, and care about you know what they can do about it, and to be able to go through you know a hundred million people and say you know here's the group of people um, who are probably going to die less, but who have this knowledge. That's a community, or like that's a tribe. And they may not all have the same beliefs. Yes. You might mix, you know, vegans and you know, paleo people, but it, it doesn't. Mm-hmm. It's okay. They're finding their own path, but at least they're on a path, and and that's that's the signal that's, that's most right. important for whether you're going to live a long time, according to your data. Oh, you're yeah. I mean, remember, life insurance is primarily a product you own, kind of midlife, and so really, what we're trying to angle for is not as much life extension as just hey, less chance of getting cancer, less chance of getting heart disease, kind of in midlife and passing away, and obviously costing the insurance company more money. And so, and that's, that's the power. So we know, so we found this data. We then took it to the insurance companies and said, Hey, give these people 41% lower rates. And of course, being insurance companies, they were like, no, we're not going to do that. Um, you know, and I'm like, look, it's statistically valid. And they're like, yeah, it may be, but we'd like to go a little slower on this. And we said, all right, well, what are you going to do? And we came back with, and you can see it on our site. So if you pass Health IQ, you'll, you'll get 5% off. Um, if you further submit some running proof or kind of what we call um, threshold performance data, so you can show you can run an eight-minute mile or show that you can deadlift, you know, uh, one and a half times your body weight. And you can do that lots of different ways. You take a video of yourself and show us the weights on the bar and show us your face and put the video camera down and then we'll do the deadlift and then, you know, send us the video. Like we'll take lots of different forms of what we call e-proof. Uh, you'll get another 5% off. And then we really, the big win is we got them to reclassify things. And in life insurance, there's kind of four levels of pricing. There's, it starts at preferred plus, preferred standard plus and standard. And then, and then there's a whole bunch of kind of think of them as subprime classifications to use a financial analogy. And, and so there's about 16 of those typically. So there's four main ones that most of the population falls in. And then there's kind of 16 other ones if, if you're unhealthy, but different levels of it. And traditionally, they'll move you down a class. If so, if you're an endurance athlete that has a low resting heart rate, they'll move you down a class because they'll say it's too low. There must be something wrong with your heart. But actually, it's just because you work out a lot. And so, you know, with us, we try to make sure that doesn't happen. If you have a family history, they'll say, hey, you know what, we got to move you down a class on certain family history criteria with certain thresholds. And we got them to be far more lenient on that because we said, look, a lot of health conscious people get health conscious, not because they have a personal crisis like you and me had, Dave, but just because they had a crisis in their family. And I said, you know, look, that's great. But I think their positive behaviors are going to offset that family history. And by the way, family history just ain't that correlated. It's about 15% correlated. It's, it's not a terribly useful tool. And so, you know, they said, okay, you know, we will reclassify them. And so we went section by section and got a bunch of these kind of, uh, they call them underwriting considerations or underwriting changes. So it's not just a rate discount. It's actually an underwriting discount, which is a little harder to market, honestly, because people are like, well, my other guy told me I'll get that rate. And we say, yeah, 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 but watch once you go through underwriting and they check your medical records and they do all that, they'll come back with this higher rate. But, you know, we really, but with us, you know, you're less likely to. And so we came back and said, you know, let's make a change. Let's give these people credit. We really believe health conscious people are heroes in society and they should be celebrated. And one of those ways is financial. And 
and that's that's kind of the the mission that we're on, and and that's how we got the the special rates for health conscious folks. What percentage of people who take the health IQ test uh, score in, in the the top tiers, whatever you do, then like, like are you finding a third of Americans, a quarter? I know your sam- your sampling is probably off because people who are more healthy are more likely to go to the website, but like how how common is it that people know this? Yeah. <laughs> So we believe the health conscious are about uh, 40 to 50 million people out of, you know, kind of 300-ish million adults or 200 and some on and in America. But it's a growing segment. We think it's actually a worldwide phenomenon. Kind of health is the new luxury good that everybody wants. You know, if you, even the, the Chinese in Beijing, you have your flat, you have your car, you have your Louis Vuitton handbag, but what you don't have is health. And so health is is the thing that people want. We think it's it's an expanding segment. And there's lots of, you know, different outlets for it, but it, it is tribal. You know, it's people don't necessarily say they're health conscious. They say they're a vegan. They say they're a vegetarian. They say they're paleo. They say they're CrossFit. They, they assign themselves to a tribe, but it's an interesting uh, group. It's it's actually, we found it spans all kinds of political. Like you'd think this might be just an East Coast, West Coast, granola eating, whole food shopping kind of person, but it's not. What it really is, is there's just a set of people that are highly, have just taken responsibility for their health and they're across all spectrums and honestly across most income groups. And it's a pretty broad-based thing. Yeah, I've found through so. just the journey of Bulletproof that, uh, you know, I, I get messages sometimes, you know, a guy was like, I'm a truck driver. And, and like, I finally started paying attention to this stuff and like, I've lost a hundred pounds. And so once people realize that they have some ability uh, to influence how long they're going to live, whether they're, they're going to be in pain, just just how they feel right now. Yeah, there absolutely is no correlation. Say the early adopters for Bulletproof were on both coasts, but it very quickly spread to just, just be everywhere because like you said, there's some percentage of people who like get that spark that says, you know, I think I can do something about this and I'm going to, and then they're on a path and the path may lead to different places, different practices, but there is something just intrinsic to the fact that you're doing something about it that I could see that making a difference. So your, your data matches my experience anyway. Like, like you found people who are health conscious die 41% less. Tell me a little bit more about what dying 41% less looks like, because that's pretty astounding. In fact, maybe, we'll, well, maybe that's the name of this episode, yeah. how to die 41% less. <laughs> that less <laughs> be health conscious. So here's what it did. Here's what we did. So we, we had all these people take their health IQ of all different ages, and then we tracked them over a four year, uh, over the, now it's four years, but at the time it was two to three years when we first started focusing on the insurance. Um, but over this four-year period, we just looked at health IQ score, right? Because you have it by percentile, just like you would have an SAT score by percentile. And then we looked at the death rate of the people. And we looked at kind of, you know, the difference in that in that death rate between the health conscious and those who are not. We actually just defined it as the health conscious as kind of 50 percentile and up versus 50 percentile and below when we first pulled it out. That's kind of the doubts that we found. It was actually a little greater in women than it was in men, but it was about 47% for women and 33% for men, delta in mortality, but it was definitely there. Wow, that's um, a huge difference. So women, women just, may have more control than men, and or are they just bet. Or are they just yeah, but, better well, biohackers? You know, you know what I think it is? Now, you know what I think it is, is as you, I think, have been preaching as well, a lot of nutrition, a lot of health consciousness yeah. is nutritional. And what I find in my own conversation, this is anecdotal, I, this is not from our data per se, but just from my conversations is I find that there's a greater aversion to nutritional health consciousness in men than there is in women. And men think to think that exercise is the primary solution to the problem. And, and, but as you age, you know, at least in my own experience, it, it's definitely 
um, <laughs> nutrition <laughs> and nutrition and nutrition. And, um, you just, you can't out exercise a bad diet no matter what you do. Right. I mean, every, every trainer will tell you that. And so that's my theory on it, but there may be another factor. Again, this is correlated data, not causated data. And so, you know, we saw, we saw quite a bit of difference between, between those two groups, you know, so that's, that's something that was there. We also break it down, although we haven't, uh, we don't disclose all of that data, but we have, we actually give you kind of a sub score of your nutritional knowledge versus your exercise exercise knowledge versus your thinking of it as knowledge in alternative medicine or integrative medicine versus your knowledge in kind of chemicals and and contaminants in the environment are able to assess that and at least give you a different subscore in each of those different things as you take it. And then when we took it further, we said, hey, why just have you do one quiz and be done? So there's actually, if you take your health IQ, then we will either web or mobile, you can come back and take a quiz a day. And every time you answer a question, it tells you what the right answer was. So it's almost this kind of test learn paradigm where you can continue to become more health conscious and kind of test your knowledge. Is there a useful um, data like once a year so to have a, a final exam or like do a, another health IQ to see if you're improving? Would that affect life insurance rates uh, for people who maybe wanted more life insurance who wanted to increase their policy or something like that? Like, like is, would it be useful for me to do that? Like, should I log in every now and then and retake it? Or is this sort of you get it once, you go out, you talk with the brokers, you get your, your life insurance, and then you don't need to take it again, but you just may choose to because you're getting additional knowledge? You know, so far not, just because the current life insurance industry is kind of still on this one and done paradigm rather than a continuous reassessment. It's, it's kind of a fixed rate mortgage rather than floating rate mortgage where it gets right. Reassessed constantly, but most people, I think, probably don't even want the floating rate because right. you know it could go up too. <laughs> but but I think that so so far it's a one. But I mean, we certainly for your own edification would create additional quizzes. We're actually just working on that now. We haven't rolled that out yet, but you know the idea that you could do it uh, more. So I mean, we found you know people with high health IQ correlate to a 19% lower rate of high blood pressure than those with low health IQ. We found people with high health IQ have a 31% lower rate of diabetes than those with low health. IQ. People with high health IQ have a 22% lower rate of arthritis. Um, these are, these are those huge numbers. Smoke like, less. Those numbers are on I mean, par with what like obvious. diabetes drugs do. <laughs> like that's that's kind of cool. Yeah. No, but again, oh, this could be. Of course, it's not causative. Not it can't be. But, like, oh, I took but, a test, my blood pressure dropped. It's not like that. But, but it, <laughs> <laughs> <right>. it's still <laughs> interesting. But those who tend to know their health IQ. Yeah. And actually, I think the gap is bigger. Like if it's 41% die less, I'm pretty sure the gap is bigger than that because those with bad health IQ don't tend to want to take their health IQ. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> right. Like they don't go, hey, I'm going to go to the site and prove how bad I am at health knowledge. Like most people who take it, think they're pretty decent. And so the, you know, already the thing is biased more healthy, which means the difference is less. Um, I think it's, it's again, being health conscious does matter. And, and for most people we've seen, it's kind of a one-way upgrade. You know, you may exercise more or less, but now that you've learned how bad diet soda is, I haven't met that many people who gave up drinking diet soda and then three years later went back to it. Yeah. You know, I can, I, I mean, everybody I know, it's kind of a one-way kind of upgrade in my opinion, or maybe they slip and have a couple here and there, but, and they're on vacation but it's not a, it's not something that they continue to do. And so, or they fall back on. And so it's, it's really a lifestyle change that, you know, these people have made have to you, take control of their health. Have you looked at data with, with employers? Like I, I remember back when I was at this company called Exodus Communications, this is the one that, that held Google's first servers and pretty much all of the big uh, websites that you know of today that have been around for a long time, like provided stuff for them, like the, the facilities. So I was a co-founder, part of the consulting group there. And our CEO had this thing for diet soda. And so we could not have an executive meeting 
without diet soda. Like when, when the car picked her up at the airport, there was diet soda in the car. <laughs> so it was almost like if you were a player at the company, like you had to have this like diet soda addiction. And I would like sit in these meetings. I was like the only non-VP in half the meetings. You know, I was this kind of you know fat young engineer who knew all the product stuff. And I was like, I would touch this stuff with a 10 foot pole. And, and I just remember like, like, cause this stuff causes behavior change in you as well. And just kind of would watch throughout the day as this would happen. But I imagine if you have a CEO or leadership in a company who has a higher health IQ, that those behaviors become part of the culture of the company. Just like you built your, uh, like a health IQ, you have your, your exercise time in the afternoon. Uh, I, interesting, I bet sure. that if you found, yeah, you know, yeah. five people at the same company with a health IQ that's high, that you'd probably find that there's another cluster there and there's probably a whole employee wellness thing. Because like the data that you guys are getting here, I haven't seen anyone else even think about health awareness the way you're thinking about it, where it, it's just, oh, knowing the stuff means you must do the stuff. And like, it, it's so obvious, but I've never come across this before and it's super disruptive. And so I, I'm just imagining what's going to happen with your data when you have, you know, a hundred million people who've taken the test. It's way cheaper than a blood test and it's relatively predictive, but, you know, could a company get lower health insurance costs or lower life insurance or other benefits because, you know, the corporate health IQ is higher. Like, like I, I just see this actually changing the world. So I wanted to have you on. Yeah. Yeah, so let's let's talk about that for a little bit. So at first, I mean, I think it's actually a really interesting idea that you almost have driving this this notion of let's think of it as yeah. role model based health IQ. <laughs> it's like or authority figure based health IQ. You know, is the health IQ of a company somehow correlated to the health IQ of its of its primary leaders? Uh, that would be fascinating. I'd love to do that study. Uh, I'll look. I don't think we have quite the designations to let us do that yet, but you know, maybe maybe at some point we would. But I suspect it's true. Like I suspect there is a you know kind of somewhat of what? an influence there. I'm going to ask the, the Bulletproof um, team uh, to, to to get their health IQ. I, I, don't, I don't think they have to, well, I, I wouldn't tell them that they have to disclose it, but they might want to. I imagine that we'd have a very high score on average, but I, I like to get data uh, and, and just have people see their own data uh, who are on the team because the more data you have about how you're doing, the, the better it is. Uh, but then I wonder if, if that would tie in with additional benefits you know, like some companies offer life insurance and all, and, well, yeah, and they're so, bought by the so, company. Well, that, that's actually really cool. Yeah. So, you know, the, here's the interesting thing when we think about life insurance in general. So first, it's a product that is meritocratically priced um, to a large extent. So, you know, um, but in certain settings, it isn't. If you're a health conscious person, you shouldn't buy life insurance through your company. You should take the free stuff they give you one or two times your salary, but you should never buy extra. And the reason for that is that they, in a company setting, they have to give the same price to everybody of the same age and gender, regardless of how healthy or health conscious you are. And so basically you're subsidizing your colleagues who don't care and who don't work out. And why do you want to do that? It's like saying, you're just going to pay more. That's all it is. And so second, um, we actually really recommend and, and push health conscious people towards more diligence rather than less. Meaning a lot of times people are like, hey, I want the easy life insurance policy that doesn't require me to take a blood test. We're like, well, if they don't require you to take a blood test, what do they have to assume about your blood? Right. Some average score for somebody your age and gender. Well, if you're better than average, what does that mean? It means you're overpaying. So we're like, no, 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 no. You know what? You don't buy life insurance that much. You buy it. Most people buy it every 10 years. And so, you know, take the extra time, do the extra diligence and get the best darn rate you can. 
it's just how insurance works. If they don't ask you a question, if they make it easier, they have to assume that your score is average. If you're above, if you're worse than average, yeah, it's a great thing. You should go and get the life insurance policy that doesn't ask any questions. But if you're better than average, like most health conscious people are, then you're overpaying. And so, you know, besides the special rate and besides the underwriting changes I talked about earlier, one of the biggest things we push health conscious folks to is we're like, you know what? I know it's a little inconvenient to get a blood test and have a medical exam. Do it. You know, if we can save you, even if it's 10%, our minimum kind of savings, typically, you're going to get average policies, $1,200 to $1,400. So let's say $140 a year off a 10-year policy or 20-year policy. That's 2800 bucks on a 20-year. Like what? You, you can't spend an hour to save $2,800? That's a pretty good like, return yeah, on can. time, right? And, right. <laughs> and so, you know, but but a lot of it isn't, it isn't just about the time or the money or product. It's really just, you've already done this work. You've already have this health dividend. You just have to, it's almost like home equity. You have to unlock it with a home equity line. Like you've built this health equity and you just need to unlock it and monetize it because you've already done that. That is work. remarkably cool. I, I thought of something else since I, I've, I've got you on this show. A lot of people who haven't ever bought life insurance, like it's a really complex thing. You go into a broker, it can be sort of overwhelming where they're like, oh, there's this investment vehicle and you put money in every year and then there's this other one. Can you walk listeners through just like the basic types of life insurance? And even if you're like in your 20s and thinking, I'm not planning to die, I don't have a family, it's dirt cheap to buy life insurance when you're in your 20s. And if you lock that rate in, it's probably not a bad idea. And it's something that I I did do. I started uh, buying life insurance when I was in my like early 20s or something. Um, probably because I, I knew I probably would need it yeah. given how fat I was. But just to kind of walk walk us through what the <laughs> what the different flavors are and kind of what your thinking is on that. Yeah, so uh, there's two main flavors of life insurance or three main. There's group life insurance through your company. There's term life and then there's two individual products predominantly. There's individual life insurance that's term-based and then there's uh, individual life insurance that is what we call a permanent policy which has a, a savings element to it. And um, we talked about the group earlier. Honestly, for most health-conscious people, that's not the right product for you to buy additional coverage. Before we talk deeper, really the focus of life insurance is gap insurance. It's here in case something happens to you in the middle of your life, you have dependents, you have a spouse, you have kids. Without your income, would their standard of living change? This is insurance to fill that gap. Now, life insurance gets more and more expensive as you age. In fact, it kind of goes exponential because your probability of dying goes up, right? So it's really not a cost-effective product to buy in your right. 70s. <laughs> it's 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 a very effective product to buy kind of in your once you've gotten married um, and had kids, you know, at least at least married, had but certainly married and kids, you should get it and hold it until your personal wealth is large enough that that your spouse could live off your nest egg without your income for, for the rest of his or her life. And so, so that's the point of the product. In that individual side, you can buy permanent, which is basically an investing vehicle. Think of it as a term. So there's, let me back up. There's a term policy, which basically says, all right, for the next 20 years, you pay this price. If you die, you get this. But if nothing happens, we keep the premiums and it's done. Okay. That was called um, term life. That's called term life. It's just like your auto insurance, right? If you never get an accident, you just paid for 10 years and it's done. You, you should have driven more aggressively, um, right? But you also had the peace of mind. <laughs> yeah, maybe. People always try to like, I want to get my ROI out of this. I'm like, no, you really don't. <laughs> Certainly not on life insurance. Uh, so it's a very simple product. It 
gives a lump sum payment. It gives it to your beneficiary that you name, and it goes actually to them tax-free. So you don't end, they don't end up paying taxes on it. Um, but you typically got to leave them a lot of money. Like people think, oh, hey, I make 50000 a year. If I leave 100000 to my spouse, that's more money than we've ever had in our bank account. But actually, if you have to live off that money year after year, you typically can't spend more than 3 to 5% at the most each year. And so you need a lot more. So you typically, they typically recommend you get 10 times your income to 15 times to create a nest egg that's big enough where the interest on that allows them to continue to live. Even 3% of a million dollar policy um, is $30,000 a year. Yeah. Right. It's not always enough. So yeah, it depends on your current standard of living and your current costs. So now the average American typically buys life insurance equal to their mortgage. That's how a lot of people think about it. They're like, well, if the mortgage is paid off, my spouse off of one income can pay for the kind of right. daily expenses. Maybe that's true, but you might have to save up for college, things like that for your kids, kind of other factors. But you know, you can find the right amount for you. You don't have to buy more than you can afford. You don't have to buy more than you want. It's usually a hard part to get people to buy, period, because they're thinking, I mean, this is, if you think about life insurance, a lot of times people are like, oh, I don't know if I want to even think about that. My life insurance guy seemed kind of cheesy. It's not that he's cheesy. It's just that most people don't want to think about their mortality. There's actually a lot of emotions, like fear, of, de- about your fear of death is, is what drives all of us. I know when I first sat down, when I, I had this brief burst of wealth, I was really uncomfortable and kind of pissed off about the whole idea of like, why do I need life insurance? Like, you know, we, we have a, we have enough money. Like, you know, it, it was almost like, why are we taking money out of our pockets right now for something that isn't necessary? And there was like a lot of, frankly, a lot of ego and, and just avoidance in my initial reaction to the idea. And I, I guess that must be really common for everyone. It is, but less yeah. so for health conscious people. I mean, a lot of people are in denial that, you know, their health could deteriorate, but the health conscious ironically know that best. That's why they don't eat a donut every day. They understand the cause and effect. I I call it, they're good at seeing the ghost of Christmas future. (laughs) You know, they understand the long-term implications of short-term actions They're and they're good at kind of deferred gratification. And so that's, that's um, kind of an interesting, you know, quirk that, that we find with the health conscious, but, but going back, you know, so you have that policy, then you have permanent policies, which people come to you and they'll say, Hey, you should buy a permanent policy. Honestly, most brokers that tell you that just don't listen to them. (laughs) They get paid a whole lot more when you buy a permanent policy. I'm going to tell you this, you don't need it. What a permanent policy typically is, is it's a term policy, but with an investment vehicle where you put a bunch of money in and that investment vehicle pays out, pays the premium on the term policy each year and you overinvest so it builds up a lot of value, but it's in an investment vehicle that's usually got very high fees in it and not only load fees, but ongoing fees. And so if you had enough discipline to manage the money outside and just pay a term policy, you should do that. Now, people mistakenly say, oh, I heard if I get a permanent insurance policy, it's like owning instead of renting. No, it's not. You're still renting it. You just have this really expensive investment vehicle in which you're putting the rent money the, for a number of years ahead of time. that I fell for actually uh, you know, 25 years ago or whatever it was was that oh if i if i buy one of these policies that it'll provide you know tax free uh, in investment gains until I take it out. It operates kind of like an IRA or you know, some sort of special savings account. But that wasn't my experience doing it. And I ended up canceling the policy after three right. years. I'm like, this is <laughs> just kind of ripping. Right. It's a rip off. You, you put it in 25 years to take it out and you actually pay ordinary income, even though it's yeah, been in there's 25 also, years. Yeah. And there's so still a problem. Like, Tax rates will probably go up, not down over the next 25 years. Um. <laughs> yeah. Th- there are other reasons to do it. It does make sense for some people. Um, you can borrow against it, it but that gets very complicated. But look, 90% of people, really all they need is basic term life insurance as gap coverage until their nest egg builds up. It's They're relatively cheap policies. 
you know, you don't need to buy something fancy. And so, you know, that's, that's the right product. But again, like any product, if you're going to buy it, you should get a better rate. And, you know, we focused on that because term life insurance is kind of a commodity, you know, and, and so rate matters the most to, to most folks. And then on top of that, you know, we are trying to do this for other insurances as well. So we're trying to do this for disability. We're trying to do this for dental vision where they make a tweak uh, on the healthcare side. We might be able to do this for uh, health insurance, but currently under the Affordable Care Act, we cannot. You know, our goal is just simply to expand and you know, kind of give this health dividend back to those who have taken control uh, and taken control. Well, thanks for the, the primer on types of, in, of insurance here. I, I'm always looking for knowledge that listeners can use. And, and this is a pretty straightforward explanation with the the kind of real world analysis into it. So thank you for sharing that. And I want to ask you uh, one more question that I think will be really interesting. And this isn't just about what you're doing in health IQ or even what you've just done in your career, but you're someone who's had a series of successful wins. You're, you're disrupting a big industry that really needs disrupting. So you've you've changed the game a couple of times in different industries. And I want to know if someone came to you tomorrow and said, Look, I want to perform better as a human being, just at everything that I do. What are your three most important pieces of advice for me? What would you offer for them just based on your own life's path? As a human being. (laughs) Um, What matters most? I think that I spent a lot of my early life in a very, um, I'm going to call it kind of wedge forward way. I'm going to do this. I'm going to get this. I'm going to go here. I'm going to get this done. And I think it wasn't until I had my heart pains in that race you know, like I look at what I'm doing today and it's, it's kind of my life's work. Like I'll spend the next 20, 10 to 20 years do this. You know, you look at my LinkedIn, I've, I've built and sold a bunch of companies and everybody's like, oh, are you going to build and sell, sell this one? I'm like, no, I, I, this is my life's work. Like I'll spend the time doing it. But, you know, as I mentioned earlier, sometimes it finds you, but you have to be open to it finding you. And if you're so busy with an agenda, like I would almost say the first thing is, you know, have time in your life where you pursue an agenda and have time in your life where you sit back and let an agenda find you um, and, uh, or our mission find you. And I, I think like everybody always teaches, right? Find your mission, find your mission, find your mission. I'm like, I don't know. I think Martin Luther King, the mission found him. I don't think he found his mission. I don't think Nelson Mandela found his mission. I think he was at the right place and was open to that mission that just emerged on his doorstep that maybe many other people didn't take. So I, I would just say that you know, let the mission find you. It would be probably my, my number one thing. I think the second is, you know, learn to be present. (laughs) I still suck at this. (laughs) Like I'm not present. I spent all my time in the future. I spent very little bit of my time on the past. I remember the other day I was at a cocktail party and my wife was like, you remember that person totally did that bad thing to you? And I was like, Oh really? I forgot that. (laughs) She's like, I didn't. (laughs) And I was like, I was like, that's what I need you for, honey. But, um, you know, I just, I spend so little time in the past, but I live a lot in the future, but I'm not great at the present. And, you know, I once took, as I was mentioning, comedy classes at Second City in Chicago after I sold my company and was taking some time off and improving my health. And they always tell you, you know, the first lesson of the first week of comedy school is basically how to be present. And and I almost had to learn how to do that. And and I think I think the third is, is just, uh, you know, something that seems, I think, always trite, but is true. It's just there's a multidimensionality to the relationships you can have with anybody. You know, I work with my team here, but I care deeply about their health personally and about them as a person. And and that's very important to me. It doesn't mean that I may not one day go to them and say, hey, you know what? You're not a good fit for the company. But it still means that even after I say that to them, like I've just believed now that we're all ships passing in the night and we have a unique opportunity to get to know and to build relationships with people. And 
just because our how we interact changes doesn't mean the relationship has to go away. We can we can have a long term relationship with somebody because it's just so rare we get to know somebody in life anymore. Like I think about the number, even an interview. I sit in an interview with a person and I'm like, you know what? How often do I get to spend an hour really getting to know somebody deeply? I go to cocktail parties and meet new people, but you don't chat with one person for an hour and there's three other people standing around and it's not that intimate, even the best of them. So I'd say those those three things is, are the things that I've learned. What a, what a beautiful list. Uh, that's awesome. I, I would say that you might have some wisdom beyond your years. I mean, you're, you're a relatively early successful entrepreneur, but you're what, you're 37-ish? Yeah, oh. that was when I had my heart issue, so that was 2011. So I'm, I'm an old dog now. I'm okay, so you're, I'm 45. All right, so good. Uh, I was like, man, uh, you've, you, you know, you sound like you've lived longer than you have. Okay, so you were 37. That makes more sense. I was like, man, <laughs> this guy's got some wisdom going on, and God knows what we're going to sound like when we're 60. Yeah, 2010, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I've just suffered yeah, well, a lot. <laughs> That's why. So it, it does. That it, helps. it helps you build character. <laughs> well, thank you for sharing that that awesome stuff. And I'm sure by now people listening to this are, are saying, "Hey, I, I want to. I want to take this test. I think it takes just a few minutes to do it." Uh, what's the URL people can go to to get their health IQ? So to just go to get your health IQ, just go to healthiq.com slash bulletproof slash quiz, and and we'll get you to the quiz. And if you actually are interested in the insurance, just go to healthiq.com slash bulletproof and and we'll get you on the process of getting the insurance, which you'll have to take the quiz eventually as well, uh, since that's part of the qualification. Beautiful. Well, Uh, I would encourage you if you listen to this, it's actually interesting to take the the test to just sort of see how you rank, which is kind of neat. And if you are thinking about getting life insurance, which is a really good idea because it's not terribly expensive and because it can make a huge difference, even if it's you know, something that goes to your parents or to your family or to your significant other, whatever, uh, whatever it is, it, it's, it's one of those things that as you start to build a career that you might want to think about, even though it's kind of hard to think about you know, the, the whole someday I'm going to die thing, but co- getting comfortable with that will pay dividends throughout your life. I don't mean insurance dividends. I mean, just being comfortable with the fact that, yeah, I'm probably going to die because the universe will come to an end someday, right? Like, it, like you're not going to avoid that. So having some insurance that lets you uh, leave an impact with the people around you, I think is, is just a smart move. And it's something that no one told me to do when I was in my twenties. Uh, and I wish they had, and I wish they'd walked me through it. So hopefully this episode has provided some value for you just in terms of thinking about that, but also this idea that, wow, just knowing all the stuff that you get from listening to this show and reading and just paying attention uh, that it probably is going to help you live longer, which is awesome or at least die less if it's different than living longer. So thanks for listening to this episode. Check it out at, it was healthiq.com slash bulletproof. And I will see you all soon. Uh, Manjal, thank you for being on the show. All right, Dave. Hey, thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. The Human Upgrade, formerly Bulletproof Radio, was created and is hosted by Dave Asprey. The information contained in this podcast is provided for informational purposes only and is not intended for the purposes of diagnosing, treating, curing, or preventing any disease. Before using any products referenced on the podcast, consult with your healthcare provider, carefully read all labels, and heed all directions and cautions that accompany the products. Information found or received through the podcast should not be used in place of a consultation or advice from a healthcare provider. If you suspect you have a medical problem or should you have any healthcare questions, please promptly call or see your healthcare provider. This podcast, including Dave Asprey and the producers, disclaim responsibility for any possible adverse effects from the use of information contained herein. Opinions of guests are their own, and this podcast does not endorse or accept responsibility for statements made by guests. 
This podcast does not make any representations or warranties about guest qualifications or credibility. This podcast may contain paid endorsements and advertisements for products or services. Individuals on this podcast may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to herein. This podcast is owned by Bulletproof Media.